0: I'm glad that you were able to brave this harsh cold to be here with us this morning. It's like a tundra out there, y'all. Like, I told my friends, I told Jonathan, like, I'm really getting hit with the Chicago-style winter for the first time in my life. You see, never had I ever took the time to appreciate that middle layer that y'all advocate for, because in New York... You know, you got a, a, a thin shirt on, and then you just put a jacket on, and you walk out the door, and you're good. You're solid. You're okay. I tried to do that here for three days, and I said, no, that middle layer's got to come in. I can't play with that middle layer. I had to rush to 7-Eleven, get some gloves, get some scars, and I said, man, this is a new reality. And, um, but we're here together, amen? Thank you all for coming for braving the cold chills, and for those watching on on YouTube, watching online, if you are unable because of the snow or the ice or the chills uh, to be here with us in person today, we're praying for you, and we're keeping you in our minds, and we thank you that you're joining us online. We have a solid community online. I don't know if I told you guys this before. Around 300 people watch us on a regular occasion uh, on the Sabbath worship. Can you believe that? We can praise the Lord for that, right? People from all across the world, people that maybe were frequent attendees here at North Shore, but maybe they moved to some other place in the world, but nevertheless, North Shore continues to be a part of their everyday life. Aren't we thankful for that? I'm thankful because school is over. (laughs) Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? Mr. T used to say this to me all the time. He said, brother, you need some sleep. I said, you need some sleep. (laughs) And we kept going on that back and forth, Uh, but I'm glad that that, at least that weight is completely, completely off, and I feel a little lighter now. I can float a little bit, praise God, and everything ended well. Now it's time to just wait for May uh, for that dance. You know, I'm going to dance. I'm not going to walk. I'm going to dance, so if y'all are going to be there with me, you know, watch me dance. Um, But we're really privileged and really happy that all of this was able to work out, so praise God for that. I don't know about you, um, some people don't know this about me, and this is just a fun fact, I guess, just so you have it in your, in your fact bank, if you ever go to like Jeopardy and there's a category that says Felipe, you know, keep that in mind. Um, I always ask people, I love to ask people, well, you know, what's your favorite genre of music? What's your favorite style of music? What do you like to listen to? You know, they, they give me a, a bunch of variations of styles of music or, or the eras in which that, type of music was like prevalent or popular or like the thing? And they ask me, and they're always surprised by what I say. I I tell them, there's no surprise. I mean, this is is gold right here. Um, I always tell people that I feel like I was born in the wrong era. I really wish that I was born in 1965 and I became a teenager by the mid-70s. And I became a young adult by the mid-80s and entered into adulthood by the mid-90s. You know why? I feel like my dad went through the best era of music of all time. Listen, I'll say that unapologetically, because um, I I love my young people, but I feel like our generation's a little bit more technologically inclined. That's That's our focus, that's our aim. Every new year, a new techno gadget, gizmo thing comes out. But man, I gotta give it to these Boomers and Gen Xers, man, you guys were the artistic generation, for sure. Uh, you know, I love that music. And when I tell people I like, I like to listen to uh, the Isley Brothers and, and Al Green and Bobby Caldwell. When I heard Bobby Caldwell for the first time, I said, praise the Lord for black people. And then I saw a picture of Bobby Caldwell, and I'm like, the brother is white. Um, but he's soulful. He tricked me. Bobby Caldwell, I can't believe that. Bobby Caldwell, Gladys Knight and the Pips, man, and the list goes on, uh, Rufus Shaka Khan, that kind of genre of music is, is that soul, late 70s, early 80s soul is my favorite genre of music to listen to. And uh, I, was, I was just grooving in the car to a jam the other day, and there's this particular song by the Isley Brothers, and I was, I was, I was feeling a little bit sketchy, Pastor, um, to, to, to play a little snippet of the very beginning, but then again, I remember you played Al Green in here. Listen, I got no shame right now. Listen, let me put this on for Mm you. I feel like this little beginning of this song just gives me that rhythm to to go about the day that just makes me feel mellow, makes me feel like I'm in a groove, like I can do the things. Is this on? Okay, I just want to play a little beginning for you. It's it's a song by the Isley Brothers called Footsteps in the Dark, and uh, it goes a little bit like this. maybe you heard this jam somewhere. It's a very familiar one. And this type of jam is the type of jam that you flip eggs to in the kitchen, and the egg does like three flips, and it still lands perfectly in your frying pan. Like, when your frying pan is like behind your back. Like, this is the jam that like, if, if, if I'm going to work, if, I, if I'm driving, I just want to be calm and just relax, I just, I don't know, there's something about this group. I just like it. I love it. It's a great song, but I never really stopped to focus on the words of it before. And I realized that the words are not such a great and grand affair as the rhythm is. You see, the, the words actually talk about a couple that's actually struggling with infidelity. So basically, the whole scheme of the song is one person singing, I hear Uh, um, I keep hearing footsteps in the dark, as if someone is leaving him in the nighttime to look for someone or something else. Great song. Difficult message. In every relationship, faithfulness, I think, is something that you can agree is paramount. And in our relationship with God and his connection and his link with us, it's no different. He is faithful, y'all and that's something you can hold on to. So before we proceed, can we bow our heads and pray? Shall we? Dear Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for the wonderful opportunity uh, to just be here with the family once more. Thank you so much for bringing us through this cold week, this frigid week. It feels like you opened the refrigerator and you left it open, and that's okay. Uh, Just give us the strength to brace through it. Uh, Please be with us here, Lord. We're going through so many things. Um, and many times we don't know what the person sitting next to us is going through. Oftentimes we don't consider it. But Father God, you know every detail. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will teach us this morning. It's not about me. It's not about the words that come out of my mouth. It's about you. We just pray that your Holy Spirit dwells in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before I proceed, I was actually given an announcement. Pastor Jonathan's little daughter, Ellie, you all know her, she she had a great great idea recently to to start the a fund for a group of children in Bangladesh. I think some of you heard it, right? She has a little shoebox that she put together, and she's collecting a little bit of money from anyone who's willing to give uh, to help uh, children who are struggling in the country of Bangladesh. So if you feel moved to contribute and to give, we still have the box, right? We got the box here in the office, right, Ellie? Here we. You got it right there. Listen, she, she are, I stand corrected. She's got it right there. So if you, if you want to contribute, if you want to give, if you want to help out, just look for Ellie. All right? <laughs> so anyway, folks, back to, 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 to the theme here today. Daniel chapter 3. If you're joining us for the very first time, either online or in person, we're going through a Daniel series, correct? We even just came from like a, a 10 days of prayer with the Daniel fast. Some of y'all were even able to enjoy the Daniel fast. You know, it was a struggle for me, man, but I, I, I try to brace through it, but I guess I'll take the next one. All right, that's all right. Daniel chapter three is a very interesting, and a very powerful chapter. If we can even title this message as uh, Footsteps in the, in the Furnace, uh, instead of Footsteps in the Dark, in contrast to the faithfulness of our God. Last week, if you can recap with me, for those of you who were here, Pastor Burnett, he was talking about Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel chapter 2 talks about a very powerful dream, right? A very powerful dream. We even had a Martin Luther King day this past week. He had a huge dream. And like we learned in the past, dreams have a huge impact. Dreams have a role. Dreams have a purpose, whether for good or for bad. You see, in chapter 2, God gives the king Nebuchadnezzar a powerful dream. But the funny story is, is that Nebuchadnezzar receives, in a dream, God's dream. Take a second right there. It never was the king's dream. What he received in the middle of the night was God's dream, God's vision, God's plan for humanity, his plan to save his people and to establish an everlasting kingdom of no suffering, no pain, a divine, holy kingdom that no man and no wicked, wickedness of humanity could ever destroy. That, that was his dream. That is his dream. I want to ask you, do you still believe in the dream? Do we still cling to that dream? Come on, church. We cling to that dream to this very day. Unfortunately, in the third chapter of the book of Daniel, we can see that the king Nebuchadnezzar took the the dream that the, the Lord gave him in the night and he twists it. He completely twists it to his own benefit. He says to himself, you know what, this whole idea of me just being the head of a statue, I don't like that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make a better statue. One where it's all about me. And that's exactly what he does. Come with me to the the third chapter of the book of Daniel, verse 1. Daniel 3, verse 1. Give you a few seconds there. Are we read? I'm reading from the New King James Version. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was sixty cubits and width was six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the, prov- in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps and the administrators and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the judges and the magistrates and all of the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Skip with me to the verse 4. Verse 4. Then the herald cried out, saying, To you it is commanded, O peoples and nations and languages, that at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, the symphony of all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the burning, fiery furnace." Insane, right? The religion of man is so different than God's relationship with us. It feels forced. It feels coerced. <laughs> no freedom exists in it. While God, <laughs> with all of his power and all of his authority to command all things, still gives us the freedom to choose, mankind wishes to twist it and command it and to force and to impose towards compliance. Mm. Listen, I'm not a man of a vast vocabulary, doc. That's the first word that came out to my mind. I don't know why compliance did. But oftentimes, that is what the devil, that's what our enemy is constantly trying to do. And he's using forces in the world to try to have us comply to his control, to his plan, to his dream but we can't fall for the dreams of the devil, see? By this point, you and I have read chapter 1 and chapter 2. We can see that right here, the beginning of the third chapter, that this king is pretty arrogant, huh? The guy comes from having this crazy dream, and God himself gives him a sign, shows him that he's a real, real God. (laughs) Puts him in his place, even. Nevertheless, he still comes back and says, no way. (laughs) I'm still going to make all of this about me. So he creates this statue, and it says that it's 60 cubits in height, six cubits in width, and it's made entirely of gold. He said to himself, listen, there's going to be no successors after me. My kingdom is going to reign forever. There's no Medo-Persians, no no Greeks, no Romans. What is that? It's all about Nebuchadnezzar, baby. (laughs) It has always been, and it will forever be. So he creates a uniform statue completely made out of gold. Remember in Daniel chapter 2, he was the head of gold. Now he makes an entire statue of gold that's showing the uniformity that he wants for his kingdom to last forever. A lot of people don't know this, and I had to do some digging, because I found it interesting. You see, Pastor? I found it interesting that he made his statue to be 60 cubits in height and six cubits in width. How much is 60 cubits? Very good. It's around 90 feet in height. What do you think the height of of the floor of this church to the very tip of the roof there is? Can you ballpark it? I'm not good at this. Uh, Rob said that it's around 80, no, not 80, I'm sorry, maybe 35, I was so off. Rob, you're going to have to correct me. It's, gonna, it's insanely, insanely tall, and it's about also 9 feet in width. It's funny that, that, that in, in the Babylonian numerical system, their system of counting is very different than us. You see, we go by tens. And we adopted that from the Egyptians. That's their contribution to us. We continue to use it to this very day. But you see, in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, they count by sixes. You see, their version of a 10 is a six. That's where their counting ends and a new set of counting begins. So even in that notion, not only in just making the statue completely of gold, Nebuchadnezzar is basically saying, listen, I'm going to make this the perfect height, the perfect width to symbolize to all eyes that my kingdom is perfect and complete. And it doesn't need nothing else. So he's arrogant. Oh, yeah, he is to that point. So he creates this statue and he he forces all people to bow down before it. Folks, I just have to ask you this question this morning. We're talking about dreams. And I honestly believe, and, and this is my opinion in studying these stories, God could have completely done away with Nebuchadnezzar a long time ago by now. He's arrogant, right? He's prideful. But he gives him a, one chance. Now he gives him another chance, and I don't want to step on next week's message, But it seems to me like he's giving Nebuchadnezzar another chance to humble himself before the one true God. But he's still not getting it. (laughs) Folks, God was trying to tell him in the dreams, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, listen, you are only a part of the grand scheme of my plan. Church, know your part in God's dream. What is your role? What is your function? Let us not be arrogant like the King Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> that try to think that it was all about him and try to, 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 to put himself in different situations and different functions where he didn't belong. And in the process, wound up becoming nothing more but a stumbling block by a huge roadblock, a huge wall. I like to say a speed bump. That's a good term. He was a, a huge speed bump between God and his children. How oftentimes the, the enemy often coerces us to become speed bumps in the middle of God's path towards his children. Ask yourselves, I don't know what the Spirit is communicating with you or has been for years, but I know about me and I know the things that he's been talking to me to say, Phil, You got this thing and this thing, and these little factors might be moving you. Instead of being an open gate for my work, not only in your life but in the lives of others, you're becoming more of a speed bump in my way. You're slowing me down, Phil, but you'll never stop me. (laughs) Speed bumps don't stop nothing. They slow it down, but things never stop. And speed bumps have to feel the weight of the heavy tires and the heavy loads upon them. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar had to feel a little bit in this story. He had to feel the weight of the Lord <laughs> pass upon him one more time, maybe so that he could humble himself. Church, do not be a speed bump in the middle of the Lord's purpose, the middle of his journey to reach those around you I often tell people forget the evangelists forget the pastors there are certain people in this world that only you can reach for Jesus and that's a fact (laughs) forget the Mark Finleys the the David Ashericks they don't know that person in your life that you're thinking about as, as well as you do they don't know their story you do. So work with Jesus. Don't be a speed bump in the middle of his path. So the story goes on to say that he forces all to bow down before this idol that he places on the plain of Dora. I just came out of the seminary, so I, I'm going to have to do a little bit of this. Is that okay? I got to go quote a, a, a professor of mine by the name of Jacques Dukan, He's an Old Testament scholar. He specializes in the book of Daniel. And uh, I was doing some digging in the Bible because I had to say to myself, history repeats itself. Biblical history specially repeats itself. Is there some way that this instance is tied to something else in the word of God? There's got to be something. And my digging brought me back to the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis. Do you remember that instant? There was a story about a certain tower, a certain tower that sat on a huge plane, the Tower of Babel. That's where we get the name Babylon from, or confusion, as it's called. I was reading Jacques Ducan, and Jacques Ducan said in his book, he said, there's a striking parallel, he says, between these two events. At the time of Babel, or the Tower of Babel, the whole entire world was clustered on the plain to unite in a common sacred act. You see, Nebuchadnezzar now is basically doing the same thing. He gathers in the same plane not only his officials, but all of the nation of men in every language and in every culture. So what are we getting here, folks? Just like history repeats itself, biblical history is repeating itself right before our eyes all over again. And I ask you, was Nebuchadnezzar just ignorant about all this? Did he just say, let me just fashion an idol because I got nothing else to do? (laughs) Do you think that that's what he thought about? You see, do you think that maybe perhaps he studied his whole life about the one instant in which his ancestors were not able to acquire what they really wanted? God status. If you recall the, the, the story of the, of, of the Tower of Babel, what happened? They wanted to build a huge tower on a plane so that they could climb up this tower and eventually reach the heavens to be free of any possible future flood or judgment from the God of heaven. They wanted to be gods themselves. Nebuchadnezzar is basically saying, listen, my great, 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 great whatever couldn't do it. Oh, but wait till this God sees me now. Oh, he gonna reckon with me. They couldn't do it. But I'm gonna make these people find out who I am. They're going to make me their only God. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to push right now. He took God's dream and he twisted it. Church, honor the dream. Honor the Lord's dream, but know your role in the dream. <laughs> know your role in the grand scheme of things. So the king knows the story. He knows how the God of heaven has destroyed the vision of his ancestors to make themselves gods. And now he tries one last time. It's open warfare against Jehovah. But like I told you all before, what happens to speed bumps? They may slow things down, but they never stop. Go on ahead with me now to the 12th verse. It's a big chapter. We've got a lot to cover here. 12th verse. Where is Daniel at this point? A lot of people ask that. Like, what is going on with Daniel? He doesn't seem to be hanging out with his friends. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are out there in the thick of it. They're being told to worship an idol that they do not believe in. But what happens now in the verse 12? Verse 12, we see some of the Chaldeans coming forth to the king, and they're about to snitch. So look at what they say here. There are certain Jews, O king, whom you have set over the affairs of the the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, these men, O king, they have not paid due regard to you. (laughs) They do not serve your gods, or do they worship the golden image that you have set What does the story say after that? Was Nebuchadnezzar like, oh, it's okay? <laughs> I wish. But the story says that he got furious. How dare these slaves not worship me? How dare they not pledge allegiance solely to me and forget their past? <laughs> I destroyed their livelihoods, I, I destroyed their towns, their city, their temple. I destroyed it at all. They have no gods. I'm their god now. And how dare they not worship me? You see, he's upset. He's angry. (laughs) Oftentimes, just like the Chaldeans calling out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know what I think? You know what my theory is? My theory is that they really wanted to get to Daniel. But you see, Daniel is a little bit out of reach for them. Some scholars believe that Daniel's position in the king's court was so high that his allegiance to the king was assumed. So they never had to put him through that circumstance, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were of the lower leadership. Other people just believed that he was out of town on a business trip that day, and he completely missed it all. But whatever theory may be true, He was not there, and he did not have to go through this circumstance. Nevertheless, the Chaldeans called out this man's friends. And friends, the enemy that we have is not too shy to go after the people that you love just to grab a hold of you. (laughs) I don't know if you believe in that. Do you believe in that? Have you seen it? I have. You see, he's not ashamed to go after your children to get to you. He is not ashamed to go after your spouse to get to you. To go after your health, to go after your finances, to go after your your work, your job, your livelihood. He's shameless in that sense. He's working overtime. And folks, might. My my question to you are Are you prepared? Are you ready for this reality? Oftentimes, the devil tries to make targets out of those that we love and that we care for. And honestly, being in a position of leadership is tough because not only do you carry your own burdens, but you're called to carry the burdens of other people. It's not easy. It's very, very tough when you see families being torn apart, when you see children rebelling, and parents not knowing what to do, <laughs> when you see people's health just go from, from, from perfect to, to, to near nothing. It's tough, but that's how it is. That's what happens. But nevertheless, through all of that difficulty, even as hard as it may be to imagine, church, I urge you to do one thing. Stay faithful. (laughs) Unlike that song that I played in the beginning that was just so groovy, but the words were just so dark and negative, the Lord has never left you and the Lord will never leave you. Amen? He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We are called to trust and have faith in our God, just like these young men in this terrible, terrible situation. But nevertheless, how terrible it may seem. Verse 16 to 18, go there with me. Verse 16 to 18, make it clear. That they were unbothered. Verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after being pushed by the king to finally bow down, they say to him, O Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hands, O king. But even if not, even if not, even if we perish, let it be known to you today, O king, that we do not serve your gods. Nor will we ever worship the gold image that you have set. Church, I, I don't know about you, but I just, I want this boldness. I want this boldness in faith. To, to, to look straight into the face of adversity and say, <laughs> in the eyes of the enemy, and say to him, listen, I don't have to speak to you in this matter. <laughs> I will not bow down to you in these circumstances. My marriage may be falling apart at this time, and maybe you feel like you're going to get the last laugh, but guess what? You and I don't got to speak in these matters. Oh, my children just seem to be acting so strange as of late, and I really don't know what to do. Satan, I don't have to speak to you in these matters. Finances may be dwindling health, separation, chaos may be breaking. But I pray, church, that our desire every day is to seek boldness in faith, to be able to look the enemy in the eye and say, listen, you gave up the right to dream a long time ago. (laughs) You see, when you signed up in heaven for this so-called rebellion, you gave up your right to dream. And the dream that God has for me and my loved ones and my family and my church is way greater than whatever nightmare you're trying to put me in. God's dream is greater, church. I ask you, are you being faithful to the dream? Are you being faithful to your role in the dream? Or like Nebuchadnezzar, Are you twisting the dream? Are you twisting it? Who is at the center of your dream? Is it the Lord? Or is it you? Who is it? Who's at the very core of it all? Book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 10, says one of the most beautiful verses, I believe, that are found in Scripture. And it echoes perfectly the attitude of these young men before the king of the world of those days. Chapter 2, verse 10 says, Be ye faithful unto, 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 and I will give ye the crown of life. Be ye faithful as the Lord is faithful. Unlike the song, he's not taking footsteps in the dark to get away from you and I. He doesn't have better responsibilities. He's not tossing you to the side and saying, I got bigger fish to fry. He has never left. But listen, let's push on to the end of the story here because we got to get to this climax. Daniel chapter 3, verse 19 to 20. They look at the king. They, 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 They constantly tell him that they're not going to bow down in front of his idol. Verse 19 says that Nebuchadnezzar was full of what? He was full of fury. And the expression of his face changed towards Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and commanded to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. I thought his numerical system ended at six. That's the magnitude of his anger and desperation to get rid of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their God. Heat it up seven times. Get rid of these guys. He was far away from it, but I bet that he started sweating. He started sweating a little bit. It was so hot that the Bible says that the men that bound them and threw them in the furnace died themselves. Because of the heat. And they weren't even in the furnace. And there they are being thrown in the furnace. I just wish I could imagine the young men's faces as they fall into the smoldering hot furnace only to realize I'm still alive. (laughs) My clothes, my hair, my skin, It's, it's all okay. Folks, are you okay? Yes, you're okay? I wish I could see the, the, the surprise on their faces. And someday I will talk to them about it, honestly. Oh, I want to be there to have some questions answered. <laughs> I just wish I could see the look on their faces when they were just falling there in the furnace and started hearing footsteps in that furnace that didn't belong to them. You see, the Bible says that there was a presence there a presence that when the Nebuchadnezzar looked at the furnace, he said, there's another person in here? (laughs) Uh, Come here. Did we not throw three of them? How come I see four and the fourth one looks like the son of God? Jesus himself was there in the furnace with these young men. And I, see, and I can imagine them in my mind just walking and talking mm-hmm. and conversing and Nebuchadnezzar just flipping out on his palace like, I cannot believe this. You see, God wants to walk with you in the furnace that you're going through right now. It's tough for me to be able to preach to people that are struggling through so much. So much. Folks, if you took the time to know what's going through the lives of those that are sitting around you, oftentimes you would sit down and say, you know, I don't think I don't think I'm going through that much. Trust me, it'll put you in perspective. The other day I was walking in the street at night in the in the freezing night, went to the pharmacy after a long day of just looking at apartments. By the way, I still haven't found one. Mercy God, can somebody pray for me? Um, I was just complaining to God saying, God, you know what, what's going on? You put me in this city and this whole housing situation is not set yet and I'm bugging out. Don't worry, I love the brunettes. I get fresh bread every day. Like, it's brunette bread. Listen, I love the bread of life, but brunette bread is like coming in second. Stuff is good. And when I leave, I'm going to miss it. And I'm complaining to God. I'm saying, Lord, what's, what is going on? Why is it taking so long for stuff to just line up? Like, why can't I just find a place? Then I walked into the pharmacy, and I, and I, found, a, I found a man, a gentleman. Um, he looked at me, and he said, blessings, brother. I, 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 was, I, was, I was in a rush, so I didn't even hear it. I just passed on through Let me go to the ATM real quick. Beep start doing my thing. He comes up and he says, brother, how you doing? Do you you remember me? And I remembered his face. I just didn't remember his name. But I had seen him before. Um, he, He had talked to me a few weeks back, talking about the fact that he was homeless. And we sat down and we talked a little bit. And, 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 and he told me about what was going on through. And he was talk, talking to me like, hey, listen, uh, I'm just looking for some money to, 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 to get to a place tonight. And I'm like, oh, man, how much do you need? What are you, what are you looking for? He's like, oh, I just need this amount of dollars left. I said, really? Man, here, man, take this, man. Go, go, go find you a place. Do you need somebody to drive you there? He's like, oh, it's, it's right over there. You don't need to worry about it or something. And and, and it was almost as if the Lord was just looking at me and he was just shaking me for a second. He was saying, Phil, a couple of hours ago, you were complaining about the fact that you hadn't found an apartment. you were really whining to me that you didn't find a place for yourself yet. But here is your brother that has no home. Are you ministering to him? Are you caring for him? Do you know his story? You see, he's a part of my dream, too. (laughs) Don't forget him. Don't leave him to the side. In a nutshell, folks, this entire series, you're going to find out one thing. God's dream for your life. That's what the book of Daniel is all about. It's about his dream for you. And believe me when I tell you, that his dream is always and forever will be greater, greater, greater. (laughs) There was a a, a small hotel manager in Pennsylvania many, many years ago. And the story says that he was managing his little, humble hotel, and and a rich man stopped by, and he, he went into the hotel with his family. They were very wealthy could see that right off the bat. That guy had money. So they come in and they lodge at that hotel because there was nowhere else to go. But it's funny because the hotel was also packed. And the story says that this, this manager, this, this innkeeper said to him, listen, I'll take you all to my own house and I'll take care of you. But there is no way that, that, that good people or fine folk like you should ever stay out here in the cold, in the middle of the winter. Come to my house. Come to my place. So they went, and the, 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 the rich man and his family lodged there for a few days. And they were about to leave. They packed their things, they, they got the things in the car, and then the, the rich man came back to the innkeeper and he said, Oh man, that was, that was great service. You see, I, this is a really tiny place, but you deserve to be, to, be, to be managing, to be the proprietor of the best hotel in America. That's what he tells him. Then the, the, the man at the counter, he shrugs a bit. He's like, ah, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. And the rich man looks at him and he said, listen, you know what? Jokingly. Someday I'm going to build you one and then he leaves. Few years go down, five, almost 10 years, and the story says that this man at the inn, at the hotel, receives a a postcard, a letter, with a little message saying, come to New York. Come to New York. And along with the package, he had uh, tickets for the train. So from Pennsylvania, he went straight to New York to Fifth Avenue and 33rd Street, and when he saw what was there in the corner, a magnificent, huge, and beautiful, sophisticated hotel, he was greeted at the door by the rich man. The rich man said, listen, I told you I'd build a a hotel for you, right? (laughs) Here it is. I'm thinking of calling it the Waldorf Astoria. And from then on, the story says that the Waldorf Astoria has always been one of the richest and most sophisticated hotels in all of America. And that poor little innkeeper was made its first manager. You see, the rich man left with a dream and his dream was way bigger than the innkeeper could have ever imagined. The same is God towards you and towards me. His dream is greater. (laughs) Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they grasp the dream. They grasp the vision, but unfortunately, it is the king that doesn't seem to get it. By the end of the story, we can see that he's happy, and he's joyous. He creates some more laws, opens some more doors, but he still hasn't opened his heart yet yet. He's still stuck in his ways. He still hasn't found out what his role is in God's dream. He hasn't grasped it. He hasn't embraced it. And folks, I have to tell you this, that whatever situation you're going through right now, whether, you, whether the Lord delivers you from it in this life, or maybe you will only see the result of it in the next Know that God's dream is always bigger. And someday you and I are going to be able to see the realization of this dream in that new Jerusalem. A kingdom that will never end. A perfect and holy establishment for you and for me where we'll never have to cry a tear anymore. Where separation will be a thing of the past when the most suffering, death, and illness will ever exist. I don't know about you, but I wanna be there. I gotta be there. After seeing everything that I see on the news on a weekly basis, I gotta be there. And my invitation for you this morning is simple. God is faithful. Will you be faithful to his dream? Will you be faithful to his vision? It can be tough right now. The enemy may be urging you to say, listen, drop down that old book. Throw it to the side. Curse this God. As the wife of Job did. Tell him to curse his God. Forget this whole church family idea. Worry about yourself. Worry about making your money. (laughs) Worry about going to places where you want to go. Worry about competing with that cousin, that brother, that uncle, that somebody in your family that you've been trying to compete with or somehow tries to draw you into competition. We know how families are. Come on. Put it all aside. Forget this God. But I urge you, church, stay true and firm faithfully each and every day to God's amazing and powerful dream and run from the enemy's nightmare. I want to invite you to join us next week as we go into the fourth and fifth chapter of the book of Daniel. Let's find out more about this dream, shall we? Let's reinforce ourselves and enroot ourselves in the dream of God for you and for me. Amen.